0: Hello, I'm your host, Jim McLean. Welcome to a very special edition of the Banflex podcast. Myself and our deputy editor, Joe McClure, are going to talk about Midsummer in spoilerific detail. Before we go any further, let's play a clip of the film. What time is it? 9 p.m. That can't be right. The sky is blue. This is what 9 p.m. is like here. <laughs> Welcome and happy Midsummer.
1: Unbelievable.
0: <laughs> Let our feast commence. <laughs>
1: It's like they're trying to make it gross.
0: What are they playing? Skin the Fool. Skin the Fool. So that's Club of Midsummer. And as I said in my little introduction, joining me now is our deputy editor, Joe McElroy. Hello. Joe, you and I have both seen this. And uh, I talked about it. I said I liked it with reservations. My reservations are the same problems that I have with this, that I have with hereditary. But what's your thoughts on the film?
1: I'm uh, sort of the same with you. On that one, only I loved Hereditary. Mm-hmm. But this here, uh, I like it a lot less. Um, it's not that it's bad. It's just it does have its, you know, sort of problems. Mm-hmm. I think it's sort of... I know a lot of people seem to like the runtime, seems so it's nice to be immersed. For me, it kind of dragged on a bit too much. And then, uh, like you said, when we talked about Hereditary, you know, your problem with it was everything was sort of spelled out like this is going to happen next and this and that and the other. Everything's spelled out and it's telling you what's going to happen. Mm. But for me, that was my enjoyment with Hereditary. It's like, oh, I can't wait to see these yeah. characters that have been established and how they're going to react to this. Whereas with Midsummer, I didn't really cling to the characters as much, mm. bar maybe uh, Florence Pugh's. Uh, really I'd like be worried if you me.
0: clung to Jack Raynor's character that would make you just be a complete bastard.
1: No, he's no, he's a prick. Um, and incidentally, you get to see his prick. Yeah. <laughs> As he runs away from the... Which Hobbit he insisted costume. on, apparently. So fair play, Jack. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no Ari, I Ari, w- I want everyone to see my dick. <laughs> <laughs> I want you
0: to see the lad. Full yeah. on Jack the lad.
1: Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's because... It's, it actually is because of the characters themselves. I just couldn't really cling to any of them bar, like I said, Florence Pews. So I didn't really care as much when they actually did spell it out. Like, there is that tapestry where it sort of signifies how... Oh, don't.
0: That... I'm not going to go into the details because no, no, no. Just... I'm just end up. But that is one. Of, that was a moment where I was like, kind of right. You, I no. was really enjoying it. Mm. I was kind of like, what he. I like what he was doing in the fact. Yeah. That there's so much going on, and I know Mark Kermode made this point, so I'm not going to try and steal it as my own. But it is something I noticed when I watched the film. I've seen it twice now. Is there so much going on in the background, whether it's through paintings or whether it's just through things that are just kind of out of focus, that are things that Again, I know people. I know when we talked about it, we had Alice Byrne on, I think it was Therese on as well. And they said, no, you should only have to watch the film once to fully get it. And I like, I don't think you have that sense here that you had with Hereditary. Yeah. That second time round, it's a completely different viewing experience. But there is so much in the background that you go, oh, okay, maybe that'll be relevant. Like, there's so much in that opening act before we even get to Sweden, which is probably my favourite part of the film. If oh, I'm yeah, honest, absolutely. Which is just su- superb and it's fore- foreboding and the fact that uh, you know, here we have what is meant to be the start, where these characters are meant to be at their safest. It's all dark and and mean and moody. And Florence Pugh's character, she is, you know, depressed. Clearly, know we have a, had a spoiler warning, so both her both her parents are killed in a death suicide by her sister, which mm-hmm. is so darkly done.
1: Oh, it's just absolutely grim and it's just really weighs heavy on you. But like. when
0: you're watching that, you've got like she has paintings in her room and the film mm-hmm. opens with a painting. Yeah. That it hints at what, where we're going to go. Yeah. But then that sequence that I think you're alluding to, where we see, you know, the pie, mm-hmm. where we see, mmm, that lovely, lovely drink you're going to serve me. No it, need for it. It's, it's the equivalent of coming back to my argument, show me, don't tell me. And mm-hmm. that, granted, you're not, you don't have someone narrating it, but you might as well be. Telling you this is what's going to happen, yeah, and I think that sequence then, when we see well, why is his drink a little bit different from everybody else's, it adds a bit of ambiguity, it adds a bit of mystique. You could have had that tapestry in the back of the in the background somewhere, and had some oh, you know, some eagle-eyed viewer going, oh, have you noticed this or notice that? But don't just pan the camera right past. Yeah, like if
1: it say was above that certain character's bed or something yeah. like that there, but it's slightly out of focus, but you can kind of make it out.
0: And you've even had it hinted, you know. We have this character, and the name of the girl has went out of my head. I apologize, but she has clearly marked him, and she sends him like a, a, yeah. a, a love token uh, that she she's marked him out as for for as a potential. Yeah, like mate.
1: originally, like t- it, her introduction to him is like they're doing like some sort of maid dance around, yeah. and then she just like playfully kicks him in the back, and then yeah. that sort of gets she kicks that him, thing, in and then she
0: gives him a stone. Yeah, so yeah. you kind of know there's something going on, and I think. That scene, when I watched it the second time round, I couldn't help but scribble down. That scene would have worked so much better if we hadn't had that sequence with the tapestry because it just, it it, you clearly know there's something going on there, but you clearly, you you know exactly what's happening because you've just been told. Yeah,
1: but like the, like that's completely spelled out to you. But there's other little things that sort of play back later, like when the. They talk about the <clears throat> the children going to play a game called "Skin the Fool," mm-hmm. and you know Will Poulter's character goes, "Oh, that's weird." Yeah, and then sure enough, he's the fool; he yeah. becomes skinned. And then there's the uh, you know when they see the bear in the cage, like, "Oh, there's a bear in the cage," yeah. and they're like, "Well, this is clearly going to come back in some way, but you yeah. don't know how." That stuff's done a lot better, but it's like you said when it's clearly spelled out yeah. to you like that type of stream might as well just spin subtitles going this is what's going to happen mm-hmm. in the end of Act 2 or something like yeah. that you know
0: I I come back to like I think Florence Pugh's excellent in this film and that's yeah. only because I'd even rewatched Fighting With My Family Oh, it's very good. I Which really enjoyed it. Which I finally got a chance to see, and I thought she was excellent. And I know she's great in Lady Macbeth, and she's absolutely brilliant in The Falling. There's
1: there's also a miniseries series done with uh, the, the Korean director, what do you call him? Uh, Park Chan-wook. Oh. Uh,
0: Little Drummer Girl. Oh, Michael yes. Shannon's in it yes, as well. She's great right. in that too. Yes, that's true. I I, I didn't see it, but I know it was at the London Film yeah. Festival. I think was a BCA player. Yeah. I think she's getting that. You spend so much of the film thinking that she's the one that's in danger. She's the one you come in with that emotional bag. Maybe some viewers don't. You come in with that that baggage of the Wicker Man mm-hmm. when you think of who is the character that's ultimately in danger here. And we see you know her the the Swedish friend that says, oh, I'm so glad you're coming to the party." And you're like, when he shows her photos of his commune, you're like, "No, you know what? I'm not going to go to Sweden this year." And that's what really put me off. I was like, he's just really, really friendly.
1: And it's in a creepy way, it's like I'm not going on holiday to your family's place. Like no, yeah. go well. No. no and But once they're there I kinda can buy how they would still go along with it to an extent because you know they're taking a lot of hallucinogenics and stuff yeah, like that there so a lot of hallucinogenics So like when eventually you know the first celebration day mm. thing happens and the people Ritualistically, like commit suicide, then you're like, oh, well, I kind of get why they would still stay, but I, even me, I'd be more like that English couple and be like, "Uh, I'm leaving. I want to go home now. Yeah, yeah, pretty much.
0: Yeah, it. it, It's just this sense that one. It gets, go- it's a it's a slow, it is, the, like, I mean, we talk about this. It is a film, it's all about the slow burn, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like you have to be engaged with the characters. And we see, I talked about it a few weeks ago when we reviewed it on the podcast, and it was a very difficult film to talk about because neither of the two guests had seen the film. And I kind of said, it, it reminds me a lot, it, we've talked about the Wicker Man. There's definitely a hint of hostile in there, oh, and yeah. the idea of naive Americans being lured. They, well, ultimately, we're talking spoilers here, they are lured. They are, they're lured, but like the thing is, one of them's a PhD student who studied these yeah. sort of cultures. So like, do you have an idea that maybe this is what they're but it like? Then makes me sense like it, it makes it much more insidious than in what they're trying mm-hmm. to do. And I know it's and it is. You know, it sounds a stupid statement to to make. It is insidious how they lead them to this this commune, but it just makes it much nastier because they they make they they beg up the fact that. They are a family, and that they this is what they do. But their like cycle of eighteen years in yeah. their lives, and but stuff you like, know that it's there. like no, you're you're Swedish bastards who just want to murder people. And yeah, that's pretty much murder people for your own for for your own whatever you want to do, your own gains. But my criticism when I said when I watched it, particularly after the first time, was what this film lacks is a presence like Christopher Lee. Yes. Christopher, Lee, Christopher Lee makes the Wicker Man work and it's his presence his aura around the film. I know I'm kind of rambling here. Yeah, but no no what, no what what the, what the Wicker Man what makes the Wicker Man work is the fact that we have a community that's actively conspiring against a man to to lead him to his downfall. Yeah. And here you kind of have something similar but the, there's there's just the, not that yeah, presence.
1: There's no like cult of personality within the
0: group. Like yeah. the the the, the
1: the cult itself where there's that one figure where you're like okay this person's luring me mm. in they try and make it uh, that way with you know the Swedish friend who's doing it yeah. but
0: he doesn't really have he's, that presence and he doesn't, doesn't have really... that much presence and he doesn't have that much screen time no either. no he kind of shows up he kind of tries to quite clearly Florence oh. I love you yeah
1: and then when everyone else is questioning what's happening it's like oh this is just normal it is it's what it banter. is just banter yeah it's
0: the crack it's all the banter yeah you have the 12th we have this
1: yeah pretty much uh <laughs> But um, one thing I will say that was really impressed was the general look of it. Yeah. I really, really loved that. And I really understand when Ari Aster described it as being like a perverted Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. It does have that like bright color skin You know, when they're like going to the... Yeah. Uh, uh, down the Elbrick Road in the Wizard of Oz. It has that kind of look. And even the actual design of the different like cottages and that mm-hmm. there, it seems like a sort of like a grim fairy tale brought to life. And uh, just the heightened and vibrant colors, which was a nice clash to the actual disturbing imagery yeah. in it and the sort of Well, I wonder you call it horror such so as more like just sort of it's a psychological because like that's another thing I think yeah. people are being sold in this as being a horror and it's not no, a horror. It's, I wasn't because I wasn't scared at all throughout it.
0: I wasn't scared but I was unsettled. And yeah. there's there's stuff like hereditary has stayed with me mm-hmm. and stuff that I'm still thinking about and stuff that I know. My lovely wife and I, because my lovely wife, who hated Hereditary, when she first saw the trailer for Midsummer, said, like, "I want to go see that." It's oh. like, but you didn't like Hereditary, she's like, I know. But you know, we she, but again, she didn't like Hereditary. But we kept talking yeah. about it for yeah. a while. And compared to say a film like Annabelle Comes Home, which we talked about last week, it's just a ghost train of a movie. And I'm now struggling. You know, a couple of you know, a week on, I'm struggling to remember parts of that film. But I remember so much of Midsummer, and it's not, and it's kind of, although it's hard to forget, some of its nastier, visceral, on-screen violence and on-screen gore. It's, as I come back to those more insidious, kind of creepy moments. The kind yeah. Of, yeah, it, it, those are the moments that work for me, and it's hard not to forget the image of, you know, Pearl Jack Renner sewed into a bear, or yeah, Jack Renner having one of the most weird sex ever. Yeah, tell me about tell me us When you went to
1: see it, that moment you know where they're yeah. doing the the fertility ceremony, we'll just call it. What was the reaction in the audience? You went, you seen it with. Were they just bursting out
0: laughing? No, they didn't. Okay, they, I went to see it with the most immature audience in the world. They then. didn't watch. The only part that myself I have to admit as an immature child have yeah. to admit that I laughed at, and the only part that I heard audience is the bit where someone reaches over and touches his butt. His oh, was she like forces? And, yeah, because yeah, 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 yeah. I remember kind of saying, I remember saying to me, she'll love me Talk about this in the podcast. I said to my lovely wife, that's the only way we will make love from now on. I just want some <laughs> well, old, just woman old woman. just <laughs> just, behind to me, push just, just to push your bum. Just to seal the deal. But
1: no, when I went to see it, uh, uh, the audience was terrible. It's just... It wasn't a case like they were just Did you go see it with Catherine? No, 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 She didn't want to see it, thank God, because I would have been like, <laughs> hello. <laughs> Let's go home and make love. No, that's not going to happen ever again after watching this film. It's, it's sort of, I'm sort of going off on a tangent. It's just the nature of audiences now where they, they were laughing, but the, it was like a case that we trying to one up. Each other. It's like, oh, you're laughing hard. I'm going to laugh even harder now, even though it might not be funny. I'm just going to be an asshole now. But but
0: that's because it's kind of. And then there was obviously the the Annabelle generation. On the phone. Yeah. Yeah, The quiet, quiet bang generation. One of the things, Joe, like, I mean, I don't know for you, because I know we were talking about Annabelle last week and we were kind of talking about this idea that, you know, do you need to be scared? I don't think I was ever scared during Midsummer. I think I was unsettled. I think the opening sequence creeped me. The opening sequence and on, on this uncertainty that what fate has befell Florence Pugh's characters, her, what has befell her parents and what has happened to her sister, why has she suddenly lost all communication, suddenly that's revealed. And that's just done so darkly. Yeah. And it's how, coming back to the idea we were talking to you about with the visuals of this film, the start, it's so dark. And it's kind of, it's all dark and snow and where you expect things to be bad and grim. She's basically
1: like in the winter yeah. of her mental state. You know, everything's yeah. just at its worst and its lowest, its darkest. And um, it's it's a bit like a, it's as grim as like a Lars von Trier or Michael Haneke yeah. film. You're just like, oh God, is it going to be one of those slogs? But
0: you know, it, it, it's, it's a point to it. Yeah. And then we get to Sweden. And as we've kind of alluded to there, there's... There's a lot going on, and it, but what I like about it, it's all there. There's there's nothing hidden about this commune. Everything's there. Sometimes it's in the background. Sometimes, as I said, it's just off, off, kind of out of frame or out of focus. Sometimes it's stuff written on the wall. I know we mentioned right at the start. There is times where the camera just pans, and it's like this is what's happening. This is what's going on. Bad stuff will happen. Mm-hmm. But I think once once it gets its its rhythm going. Which is really hard to do because is what I'm struggling to do, and I get back to because we we're having a good conversation about Midsummer. Uh, I yes, thought. definitely. definitely. Um, I think once it gets into that that case of once you realise what's going on and what's happening, it you do kind of descend into this kind of hallucinogenic, like kind of haze, and yeah. but but it's hard not to feel unsettled by the fact. It comes back to that point. We are in spoilers. We can't talk about this yeah. spoilerifically. The the person we're probably most uneasy. Four is Florence Pugh's character. Oh, definitely. And it's 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 quite a clever thing that what Ari Aster does is that it's actually Jack Raynor's character that pretty much from the get go, who was in the greatest danger.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I suppose that's what'll benefit this with the repeat viewing, the way that the you know the his, the Swedish friend kind of views Jack Raynor's character, because then it, we discover like uh, at the end he was tasked to bring people mm-hmm. to this festival to sacrifice. Bastard. I know. Swedish uh Get the sturdy old xenophobia.
0: Uh, Sorry, right. Darren Vincent said a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Spider-Man Far From Home that nothing ever good happened in Central Europe. So it's okay. It's okay. You're, I think we've offended our, our Central European listeners. No, no, we're
1: uh, going towards Scandinavia yeah, now. It's yeah. great. We're going to take over all yeah. of Europe and just completely bury it. And, that is true. Yeah. Well, in, when in actuality, it's us shooting ourselves in the foot. But that's politics. And we're not going to get into yeah. Brexit. We'll back to Midsummer and the lovely festival that it is if you Oof. are of the yeah that the scent of a woman festival as <laughs> we can call it yeah uh, I, I
0: love the fact like one thing i will say about this as dark kind of tonally definitely not visually as this film is it's probably much there's much more humor in this than there was in hereditary oh yeah definitely you know there's there's definitely kind of see like a tonal change like you, like you kind of there is that sequence where they, they literally come through the door and say we're all going to watch austin powers let's go and you're i like, know that's why it's just <laughs> yeah, it's like what why would you want oh, to watch who wants to watch all austin? the films like what you're
1: not gonna watch not even bergman or something not, like not that? even <laughs> the spy
0: who shagged me but it's just the Austin powers it, oh yeah. it's okay but coming back i know it's kind of rambly and we kind of went off there but were you scared
1: no, but like you said, I, I felt similar to you, I was unsettled and mm-hmm. a bit disorientated through the you know, the sort of um hallucinatory visuals and stuff like that there that I kind of mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um and I think a part of that comes we haven't really gone into the scores much. I think the score really elevates that. Yeah. It just kind score's of scores great. It helps you sort of like it almost gives you a sense of like your swaying to like the you know the, the sort of situation you're just disoriented and you're going okay what's happening now? I'm a bit lost but obviously throughout it uh, Ari Aster has it planned and he's telling you this is going to happen next and this and that and the other it's very played out and you know what's going to happen but uh yeah like you said it it's it's not a horror film at all I don't I don't think it's really fair to call it a horror film it's uh the best way to describe it like I said before is a psychological drama mm-hmm. and it is um the dramatic elements that really you really really work for it more than anything and my worry was after the initial opening you know that it's so you know sort of I w- burden's not the right word to use it's sort of just weighed down with grief sorry mm-hmm. i was worried it was going to go to the same right as hereditary where uh the characters there's no real alleviation for that grief like Tony Collette's character thinks she's going to receive yeah. uh, some sort of closure through talking to Charlie. But in this year, I thought, oh, no, they're going to have her just completely beat down and they're going to make things worse. But like you said, mm-hmm. the whole plan all along was to get Jack Rayner's character mm-hmm. and not her. Like, she, her, her whole role, in a way, that's the sweet side to the Swedish mm-hmm. fella in his plan. He elevates her and makes her May Queen of this lovely festival. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, he... He, in a way, gives her a family that she loses. Because he's been through similar experiences yeah. as well. He's lost his family. family's a big part of this. Yeah, it's and a it, big and family film.
0: And it's but don't a, bring your family. No, <laughs> don't bring your family. And it's the idea, as we talked about earlier on, the idea of the power of empathy. Yeah. That's what she needs. Like, I know I keep coming back to this. Jack Raynor's character is a complete bastard. You know? Oh, yeah. But not in a kind of... The, I don't think he's necessarily... Not in an obvious way. Not in an obvious way. I, but yeah, I don't think he's kind of a horrible person. No, well, no, but he. Well, t- I'm trying to let me rephrase that. He's not a terrible person, but his. You feel he
1: doesn't. He's not doing what he's doing on purpose. He's very he's just...
0: kind of his his primary concern is himself. Yes, yeah, self centered. And he's self centered, and his everything kind of comes out from that. Like the mm. fact that he can't face the thought of dumping Danny after all that she's been through, in that film's opening act because of the kind of problems that people cause for him how people would perceive him the fact that how could he how could he dump her after she'd just lost her yeah. parents at the worst moment sister. of her life yeah how could he possibly do that then when we see when they arrive in Sweden he's looking to, for an idea for his thesis and basically so once he's suddenly <laughs> there goes yeah you know what see I've actually had an idea for my thesis Max, you gonna do your idea?
1: Yeah, no, he's, no, he tries to reword it and yeah. make
0: himself sound alright.
1: He's like, Oh no, you're doing a few cultures. I'm just gonna do this one, yeah. you know? And yeah, he's you know, the he's more always, think about it, you know, fuck him. <laughs> yeah. You know, you deserve to end up Burn in Burn the
0: big yellow house. You deserve <laughs> to end up in that big bear. But it it's the ultimate then point is is then when when we see as I as I mentioned, we see that Danny finally sees Christian, uh, the ironically named Christian, mm. we see him in the act in this weird kind of pagan ritual, sex yeah. ritual, is the only way you can call it and of course then she has this kind of breakdown and we see those women kind of surrounding her and, and kind of the, and they're all kind of starting, that's not what they're doing, they're all screaming that's going on in yeah, They're sort of ref- uh, reflecting yeah, what she's doing Yeah, the ultimate kind of, the it's point a, then Weird catharsis happens. Yeah, yeah, and then the point then when everything's all revealed They offer her the choice. They Mm. offer her the choice. Is it your boyfriend? Or is it this guy? Some guy. Yeah, some
1: randomer who volunteered. Some random guy. I kind of wish... I'd like to see a footage of
0: her making a decision. How quick was it made? (laughs) Did she just go, no, fuck him. (laughs) Because you just see... And I I will say there's... Coming back to the absurdist nature of the film. There's points where... I think it's just in around that sequence where the yellow house, and we see where people who've disappeared suddenly reappear in nasty ways. We see there's people who volunteered to be in that house as well, and then we just see her. I think she's either heading to the house in this massive Oh the flower dress, flower dress, yeah. and it, I couldn't help but laugh in the fact that she looks like something like Lady Gaga would wear. Yeah, as she's trying to move towards the house, and there's almost as if she goes, oh fuck it. Let it's, them burn. It's,
1: it's like a Coachella or of some like sort of Instagrammer yeah. in this weird paganistic ritual. You know, I'm surprised like somebody didn't bring a camera. You know, take a selfie and that yeah. there with it.
0: But as I come back, I love the fact that it's a film that explores that idea of grief, yeah, and the impact that grief from the past can have on your present and how it can obscure your present and how you perceive how you perceive things. Yes, there's all that stuff about breakup. And it's only in those films cl- closing moments. That's why it makes perfect sense when
1: well, yeah, it makes how perfect- it closes. The how it does.
0: closes. We're, we're in spoiler zone. You know, we, we know it goes, she goes from screaming and tears to joy, joy. The fact that that phase of her life, it's almost is- like
1: a release for her. like that's, she's literally her past has been burnt down. Yeah. So she can start afresh again
0: and lead a, you know, a better life. Cause what I was so glad. And I know that was my prediction and I thought I was being really ultra smug when I saw the trailers and stuff for Midsummer. So I thought this was going to be Ari Aster doing like a kind of, an expanded pagan, Paimon universe. And oh this yeah. This was going to be it's
1: Like James Wan's The Conjuring Universe yeah. Ari Aster has the pagan. Not, it's No, it's its own thing.
0: It's it's not Supernatural's not really a part of this film.
1: No, there, there is no. nothing out of the, you know, there is no supernatural element as such. Everything that's there is based in some sense of reality, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. Why, then, do you think people are having such a negative reaction? Do you think that's primarily down to the way this film has been marketed? You know, I saw this at the Odeon uh, with a multiplex audience. I must say a very respectful multiplex audience. You clearly had a different response. No.
1: um, I think that's absolutely the reason why it doesn't work. I think it's sort of mother syndrome, if that makes sense. because you did mention this on Twitter. Because... I think people are expecting one thing uh, through the marketing and you're throwing them a complete curveball like going into this you're expecting okay this is going to be something like uh, straight down the line, it's going to be basically the wicker man for our generation mm-hmm. and to an extent it is that but it's so much more it's it's not overtly horrific in nature, it's a, a very psychological uh, film and People going into it aren't expecting a two and a half hour, you know, a study on grief mm. as such. You know, they're expecting, you know, lots of scares, lots of weird Swedish cult, just, you know, murdering people at random. They're expecting more of a kind of a slasher within this rather yeah. than maybe just a, you know, strictly uh, psychological film. And yeah, just going back to what I was saying about the audience, because they weren't, they didn't know what to expect. Like I get sometimes with horror laughter kind of goes with it because it's sort of a release.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm a nervous laugh.
1: Yeah, I'm a nervous and laugher, and that's perfectly reasonable. But when you're just laughing for the sake of laughing and trying to one up somebody in the audience, it's a completely different experience, and it sort of ruins it. Mm. So maybe that's what's kind of made me not really—I couldn't really be as immersed as maybe I wanted to be with Midsummer, but it's still liked it all the same. And I think that's what's maybe happening with audiences because just going back to Mother, people didn't know what to expect. They expected like a horror film, like maybe Javier Bardem. Just, just while well you
0: mentioned, well like, what was your thoughts on Mother when it came out? I
1: like it as a black comedy. But the thing is with Mother, I'm so down the middle with it. There's so much in it I love and there's so much of it I hate. Mm-hmm. The hate comes from Darren Aronofsky thinking he's smarter than he actually is. Because I thought it was pretentious beyond the belief the way he's like, oh, it's an all an allegory for the mm-hmm. Bible. You know, this is like his allegory for the flood. is like, oh, these uh, people sit in a sink and it caused a flood in the house. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is this story and this is that story but I did admire the performances in it. I admired the luck of it and, you know, the ambition. Because at mm-hmm. the end of the... I would rather see films like Midsommar or Mother over something like Annabelle. Like, I know I spoke, spoke fondly enough of it, but like... Yeah, you did, Joe. But they're like a dime a dozen in cinemas now. We, we yeah. need sort of less, and we need more thoughtful sort of films lay like out there. So I think something like Midsommar would sit better with... Uh, fans of independent film mm-hmm. who kind of are, would realise what they're getting in for, but if you're just giving it for mass consumption and it's being sold completely differently from what they're expecting,
0: mm-hmm. it'll not sit as well. Yeah, I would agree with you. Like Coming back to Mother, I actually really like Mother, and I think also yeah. that's partly down to the kind of mischievous part of me, the fact that I was there with an audience who actively hated it. Yeah. There was a woman, who I, I went to see it at the City, the movie house at Cityside, and there was a woman. I don't even think the film had reached its finale, and charged up from where she was sitting, a couple of rows in front of me, and charged up towards the door. And got so irate and was so in such of a rush to get out, she couldn't comprehend that the door actually just said it was pull. Was and she, she was she trying was to passionate. push, <laughs> and she was like, oh, she just had to get out so quickly of the cinema. And eventually, she's like, eventually, she figured it out and just. Charged on out, and you were just like, yeah. "I haven't seen someone as annoyed at something." I, I will, I will say this though: with Mother, it features one of the most unsettling, disturbing visual on but mo- moments of on-screen visual nastiness. Oh yeah, I've seen. I, I know what you're talking about. That, and yes, I agree. And we're we're spoiling. We can talk spoilerifically about Midsummer. I'll not talk about that, but that is a moment that has still stayed with yes. me, and is kind of part of the reason why I'm not that ready to go back and rewatch it. Mm. there's there's so much i love about it and part of it is down to jennifer lawrence who's just great in that role and much like with florence Pugh here she she's given a role that you could maybe maybe argues kind of thankless in a way and i know sounds yeah. like a really bizarre thing to like, say they're
1: both burdened characters they're, in their own they're respect very
0: to. burdened character they're very they, they're very emotional heavy characters yes. that go through an an awful lot through this film and we have to go through like this there's just sequences with, with Florence Pugh in this film where you just have to feel for her and you just sit there like the sequences like where she's the first time she tries hallucinogenics yeah. and we see the sequence and we start to see it's that idea of again that the her past is still casting a heavy shadow over the present. And we see like there's even a sequence near the end of the film where we where we think we're really unsettled because we you know, we come into this with the baggage of films like well, some of us do of, of the working man, of what it's leading to and we see this idea of like her suddenly she, she thinks she sees her mother in yeah, and her father co- as well when she yeah. made may queen she she think and you're like, oh no it's see of and we see like the big crucifix and you're like oh please don't let her up. I honestly thought yeah they're gonna tie her to that and set it in fire or something like that let her end in that and it's it's a fact I come back to the fact that our gaze is on one part it's a classic horror move or our, our it's a nice gaze, misdirection yeah though. our gaze is on that character but it should have been on this character who's probably at his most vulnerable throughout throughout the entire film it's the one time he's at his most vulnerable he's out of his head yeah and is like there's that sequence where he turns they're at the big table and he turns to the the, the commune members like what what exactly is, what's going on what's going on and the guy's response is <laughs> just to kind of clap right in front of him to completely just and it's like oh
1: oh what? sound lad. okay well <laughs> why would you do that it's
0: it's it's not going to be for everyone. It's, no. it's really not going to be a film for everyone. And I think we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking when I reviewed it on my own. And I kind of said I asked both Caitlin and Darren had they seen The Wicker Man. And they were like, no, never ah. watched. And I said I would still say I would watch The Wicker Man before this if you've never. Well, it's probably an advantage if you've never seen The Wicker Man. I I, I would I would definitely say that. But I think... Maybe not the Nicolas Cage one, though. Oh, but it's got the bees. <laughs> it's the bees. The bees. The bees. I don't know why they're not showing that as part of cage drama, but maybe it's because it's are very of the ter- disappointed. <laughs> Maybe because it's a terrible film. But like, are you... I know we've kind of talked about a little bit, but are you a fan of The Wicker Man? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I love it. I, I
1: think it's fantastic. And, you know, the films that it's influenced as well, yeah. I really love as well. The likes of Kill List. Because yeah. uh, so the, the likes of
0: like Christopher Lee the late Christopher Lee would argue it's not a horror film. I disagree with him greatly. Mm, Yeah, I I disagree as well because that ending
1: is absolutely horrific. It is the culmination of everything that's happened. It's a moment, again,
0: you know, as, as Mark Kermode says, the moment of horror is the moment where you see them coming over the hill and, you suddenly, and his reaction, and you suddenly realize what's going to happen. You mm-hmm. know, and you know straight away as soon as you see that figure, you're like, yeah. "Oh, here we go!" You, and you know where it's going to go. But I come back to what terrifies me with the Wicker Man is the fact that we have a community that's actively conspiring. Like the sequence that gives me the most creeps and gives me the Bs when I think about it is the sequence where he's down at the dock and he just looks yeah. up, and there's like three people in animal masks, and I don't know why. It's 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 simple, but it's it's just so something like, about it. This. You know, I'm I'm I come from as probably, I don't know what yeah. I'm specifically but I come from a I'm a small country I'm a country boy. Awesome here. And I can imagine, you know, people in my kind of in, in the little town I'm from kind of uh, the we children of the neighbour. Yeah, it's it's just creepy. But I, I I still think in my heart this film lacks a presence like Christopher Lee. It's the yeah. presence that elevates the wicker man. And the sequences were, where it's him and Edward Woodward kind of walking around and he's kind of explaining things and, and explaining why and the fact of the, the barren, the barren nature of the, the crops, etc, cetera, and what they need and, and what their aims. And it's, it's kind of exposition heavy. Like, but Christopher Lee's delivery. Just it's, you, you get you, away. But, with
1: it. You, yeah, that's what I mean. A certain a certain actor would need that. Like I was just thinking top of my head there now. Like the the, the leading uh, woman of the cult. Could you imagine say someone like Tilda Swinton mm-hmm. was in that role? How
0: much more be elevated? How much really you would I'm buy Oh, even better. Like you know, I see be... in the trailers. I actually thought it was Anna Faris. Really, I actually thought, and I was like going, "Oh, it's weird." It's She's left field choice, <laughs> but it's, she kind of looks a little bit like her. And yeah. in that opening scene, where it's like when, or that scene where, like with um, Christian's character, like, "Open your eyes, you can't move." Oh yes, yes, yes. Don't speak. And I've no choice, <laughs> yeah, and you're kind of like going, "Like, what the fuck has happened to him?" And then, it's, yeah. and then it's revealed, and then it's revealed more. So, what's going like to happen? Like in
1: a wee baby's carriage before he's putting a bird. <laughs>
0: That that sequence was... I now granted, I had to admit, I started laughing to myself because I couldn't not think of the bear from *Bo Select, particularly oh, yeah. the sequence where he's just you, sitting there. That. <laughs> and I, I, I couldn't. It was like my no context spoiler. I couldn't not think of. Oh, my tail popped yeah. out whenever that happened, but it again, it's it's just a terribly sad moment. But yet, he's a bastard, so he kind of gets what. Yeah, gets that's what's why
1: you're not completely like just distraught to a point where you're like i can't watch this it's far too uncomfortable you're kind of like well you're getting your comeuppance in a way yeah. maybe it's a bit too extreme but mm-hmm. you're getting some form of comeuppance. but
0: there's other people like there's characters like, i'm not I, again i'm not quite sure who it is but there's a character that's turned into like the the blood eagle and that's the sequence where he goes into the chicken hut
1: oh the um the english yeah uh, is I that right. who yeah. that i wasn't yeah, quite sure was, yeah. i wasn't quite sure because that... his girlfriend comes in later and she's like stuffed Yeah, and it's like she's in a wheelbarrow or something. I don't, I don't know. I couldn't really. I wasn't sure it was her, but then when you seen her and seen it in the grand scheme of everyone else that was in the room, you're like, oh, that's her. Because that's
0: when I think I start to have problems. It's only when I think about it afterwards I think I have problems with midsummer and the fact that this commune and they they pride themselves that they are empathetic empathetic and that they are a family and they they, they do things only for the greater good the know? greater good the great not <laughs> fuzz I, you know what I, I was i was really thinking about this what has been the film that has come closest to replicating that sense from the wicker man of a community conspiring against someone and it, it is, is hot, hot fuzz, fuzz. It, it, it's genius when you sit and you know, think about it
1: in a comedic way but it yeah. is it's not same the greater good yeah.
0: it's when you sit and think about it, it's like as great as they are no, they are. They're, they're insidious. They're horrible. They're nasty, and what they're doing because. But the, they have the reasons for each person in a way. Yeah, but they they because bring that that for instance, you know, the English we'll, couple, like the character of Josh, who's genuinely yeah. interested in their culture. They bring them there with no intention that they will ever leave. It's it's you know, there's no sense when you when you sit and think yeah, about there, it. There's never going to be a moment where like. You know what? They're not a bad couple. We'll let them go. Yeah, yeah you're not going to no be one. like the English couple. Like, there's no reason. they there, they witness something, and they go, you know what? No, this is not for me. I want to leave. All right, they instantly leave after the, they, like I said, the first They day haven't seen the anything stream. that would ultimately kind of. There's no reason for them to come to that nasty fate. No. Other than the fact that they, they're they brought there to be, to be ultimately be part of the rituals. Yeah, but th- that's their
1: reasoning behind yeah. it. This is our culture. This is our the great The greater good. Yeah, the greater good. <laughs> We must burn you. Uh, like, that's the reasoning behind it. Like, it, they don't really care because you're not part of the circle of, yeah. you know, uh, and, you know, the
0: rituals that we, that they, sorry, we, no, they. But then you've got in. to wonder what would have happened. I'm, again, I'm only throwing this out. It's only a lightning bolt moment. What would have happened if Danny hadn't went? True. What would have happened if Danny hadn't went and it was just them? I think it would have played out similar for the
1: other characters there would have been a different may queen uh i think i still think you know will poulter's character he still would have been that asshole yeah. who would have got you know s- well skinned as it turned mm-hmm. out uh i think your other know, fellow probably would have been killed off because he that maybe would that have creeped me out too out when too much oh mm-hmm. it's it's very texas chainsaw yeah. massacre yeah you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh but no that that was probably that was probably the closest to being yeah. scared in the there film. W- there was
0: moments there's a lot of red herrings. Like you think that there's the character that's that's born of incest, who's kind oh, of Oh, the, the Sable character? Yeah. And you think of particularly if you watch the trailers, you think he's gonna be a much bigger part of this than he is, and he's not No, really there. Like there's there's a couple of moments where he's there. But there's nothing really that ties yeah, him. He just
1: He's, like, a pro- viewed as a prophet, almost. Yeah. Because, you know, he writes in the ancient And that's why, and I, when like I was that.
0: watching it, kind of going, I was thinking back to the whole stuff with with Paimon in the previous... Yeah. and the, You see a character, like Charlie, in Hereditary, who, in a similar vein to this, is, you know, her character is... She's on the spectrum. And, and you think she's going to lead the film in terms yeah. of that, but then, obviously... We have an, a Hereditary spoiler podcast. Go f- listen to that. We're not spoiler anymore for that. But it's just when you think of... There's parallels there. When you think of Charlie's betrayal, you, you start to think, oh, is there going to be something similar going on here? But I don't know whether that's a deliberate red herring or not. Mm. I don't know. Do you, do you sense that this is a progression for Ari Aster as a, as a filmmaker? Or do you, do you think this is a filmmaker that has been indulged after the success of Hereditary and being told, make the film you want to make? Yeah.
1: I kind of think it's a bit of both in a way. Like he is exploring, you know. Okay, I have a bit of a bigger budget now. Mm. I'm gonna try and test, you know, my skills as a director. I want there's certain themes in that I want to explore, but at the same time, there is a bit of a crutch that he kind of relies on. From yeah, you can see within the likes of Hereditary. It's like I said that they, they they're both similar themes. Mm. They both sort of tell you what's going to happen throughout of it. Like it follows similar beats. Yeah, and it's almost a bit too close to that. But he does step away from it and he kind of, like, whereas Hereditary can be viewed as a strict horror the, the way he leans more on drama in this here. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he said, like, Hereditary was supposed to be a domestic drama and this is supposed to be a breakup film, mm-hmm. essentially. So, either way, like, I think what what he's trying to do here is something different, but he still leans a bit on what he's, you know, he still leans on certain conventions that he's used to. But I am an uh, uh, I may not have loved it as much as Hereditary, or even loved it in general, but I am glad films like it are being made, and I'm still very eager to see what he's
0: going to bring to the table next. Yeah, I would completely agree with you. I want to see where he goes. I do think he's still guilty of the same cinematic sins that was present in Hereditary. I've touched on that earlier, the, the show Don't Tell. I think there's times when he is ambiguous on purpose, Mm-hmm. And it's only because we screened recently. I know, I know you're at the screening. I was thinking maybe of the likes of Dark City, when we see that producers are worried about films. Oh, ambiguity is a bad thing because it means you know audiences have to pay attention. You know they want to be spoon fed things. So you you've got to wonder: Are those little moments that I'm complaining about that slow pan past the parchment that basically sets up a, yeah. a key plot point? Is that there? You know, ultimately, after test screenings or after or upon producers' request, that you know audiences aren't, aren't going to understand that. And I, I come back to that Chris Nolan idea. You know, Chris Nolan is not someone. Chris Nolan will sit and romp through his films, whether you like them or not. I, I don't mind. I mean, I know I'm a Chris Nolan fanboy, but Chris Nolan, for me, as a filmmaker and as a writer, never patronizes an audience. He mm-hmm. will sit and say, "Keep up." He will yeah. keep up with me if you've lost or you're lost along the way you're going to have to find some way to get yourself back into it. But I'm not going to sit and spoon-fed, this is what's going on. Yeah, Ari Aster, at times he doesn't do it. And those are the times I, I love. It's a subtleties of work. And yeah. like
1: we were talking about the misdirection, that was yeah. f- fantastic when he does stuff like that. But it's like you said, it, from like I know you had that problem with hereditary, but I didn't mind it as such, because I want, I was eager to see how the characters were
0: going to react to it. Whereas this but here, I, I was, think, like, was coming like, back, like, I think when you look at hereditary... If you take all those as I call them big Belfast loaf moments yeah. where it's hitting you over the head going, Keep up, keep up. She's a one. Look at the mat. Look at the mat. Yeah. If if you're if you take those out, you have a much better film, in my eyes. Anyway, you have a much better film that is leaving you kind of much more to an uncertain place. but then I'm the person who says the thing I love about hereditary more than anything Particularly on second viewing, is the fact that you're watching this family situation. It's been manipulated for years. From the point when we start this film, that family's fucked. We haven't exploded rating, you know, Joe, you you, you swear all oh, the time. Yeah. We haven't exploded that family's fucked from the minute go that film starts. That that plan by that cult has been there for years. It's been planned and it's now coming to fruition. And there's nothing, you know, they might do one or two things, but the Venus flytrap has closed. There's nothing they can do. And that's what I like about it, Like, kind of like what you are saying. But I still wish there was times, not so much in the kind of the on-screen nastiness, but just in moments where it's like, you don't need to tell me, you don't need to spoon-feed me stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. I can keep up. There is people who want to be, like, my mum would be that person. Hang on, who's he? What's he? What's he doing? Where's he going now? Where was he? What was he yeah. in? What film was he in, Joe? Oh, yeah, those questions, yeah. What? Or my favourite one, my mum goes, what's going on?
1: It's like, I don't know either, because we haven't reached a point where it's explained
0: anything yet. Mum, it's the opening credits. <laughs> it's the opening credits, Mum, be quiet. What do you think? I think he's a bad one. Oh my mum my mum's the worst yeah. person. I can't watch films with my mum. That and Wimbledon I can't watch. The last couple of weeks with Wimbledon, my mum, you know, even from when I came home there for a couple of days, from three rooms across would be kind of, Oh, weaker. Oh you wanker. And that's that <laughs> this is what I have to put up with. This is why I'm the person that I am. But I just feel for me anyway, I just think it coming back to that analogy but Dark City where in the original cut the studio insisted that they had this introduction that it gives away any sense of ambiguity about what's going on. When you watch the director's cut of that film. It's much better. And I know mm-hmm. I try to rambly way, but I think I lost my point when I was introducing the piece. It's kind of the reverse of Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. He's tinkered with that film so much with his director's cut that he's taken all the ambiguity out of it. And it's the things that he thinks is interesting, whether or not Deckard yeah. is a replicant or not, he's imprinted that on the film. Where if you watch the original version of Blade Runner, that's not an issue. It's an interesting side yeah. point, but it's not a key point of Blade Runner.
1: But the uh, But the... the... I know I don't want to go too far down a Blade Runner hole, but the problem with the original cut is the narration. Oh yeah, that's, yeah, I agree. that's the thing that completely directs you away from that. Because well, that's not about that cause is that
0: not technically the second version of the film? The original version doesn't have the narration. It's the second version had the narration, where it more or less spells I, I am. I like, right, but I am oh, but that was after the yeah. test
1: screening, wasn't it? Yeah. oh yeah. Right, yeah. Sorry, that's the version I'm talking about <laughs> then because, Like you know, you're down the blade runner, seven or eight it. versions, and that's it. No yeah. more blamer. But you know what? Another th- film, just we're talking films with Midsummer, part of it sort of reminded me of the recent version of Suspiria. Yeah, you know, this outsider yeah, coming in and not knowing things, and it is that slow sort of build. And I, that's what I mean. I'm glad, like, it's going back to my previous point. I'm glad we're getting films out. Yeah, I may, I totally not, agree. I may not completely love it, like, I didn't love the remake of *Suspiria*, I felt it would have worked better as a shorter. Oh God, film. yeah!
0: It would if it lost an hour of its wrong time runtime. Yeah, be better. The, like the, the 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 sort of Funny, chap, chaptered layout. Just when it was you're talking about films that you thought of with with *Midsummer*, have you seen *Climax* by Gaspar Noé*? Uh, no,
1: I think it's on Netflix at the minute, but I, I haven't watched it yet.
0: I don't know if it's on Netflix because I know oh, I bought, No, Ar- it is. I've seen it in the Arrow font, um, thing. Arrow had a sale on on iTunes, and you know other you know online uh, stores are available. And picked it up and watched it last week. It it's kind of bonkers and it's flawed in the fact that it's very much improvised and there's not a lot of script. There's moments in that film that are just lifted from possession. That that iconic sequence in possession of the you know the the possession. There's only way I can yeah. be, there's only way <laughs> I can really finish that phrase. There's moments from climax are lifted from that, and then you can see how that film can influence a film like midsummer i would definitely recommend it's not going to be for everyone it's really not but like as you just said joe i I like that there's filmmakers out there who are allowed to make films in their way Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean i can't sit and say sometimes it's it is a bad thing i think with quentin tarantino i think quentin tarantino needs you know someone to say no quentin you can't be in the film this is a joke i always go to you can't be in the film you can't do an australian accent and it needs to be 20 30 minutes shorter Okay. I, that,
1: that's why I'm kind of worried about his new one because he wants to make it longer than the cut he had in Cannes, and you're like, oh, don't do that if
0: it's not going to work. Oh, Quentin, <laughs> but we'll leave but, him there. But you know, it's it's that double-edged sword. Yeah. Complete, you know, complete freedom as a filmmaker. It, it can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. I think sometimes it it can be a bad thing for a filmmaker because if there's no voice saying, do you do you do, does it really need to be this long? It, I don't know. If, like, midsummer, it's two hours twenty minutes. I don't know if I'd want to cut it. I don't know where I would cut. It's so like I said, there's certain sequences I
1: think maybe go on a bit longer than they actually need to. Mm. Like the, the the Mayfair dance, you know, the competition for her to yeah. become May Queen. I think it goes on a bit too long. Mm. Maybe cut it down a little bit. But it's just little niggling things here and there. It's just sort of trim the fat of it. But uh, in the grand scheme of things, it it does work very well for its length.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I, I can't really think, Joe... Since this has kind of been built, because we've kind of already reviewed this, but it's just kind of a sense that we can kind of talk about things kind of slightly spoilerifically. I can't get a sense of anything else that we really need to talk about, I think, other than I think I'm a bigger fan of this yeah, than you are. You were a bigger fan of Hereditary yeah, than right I was. I think it's kind of we've we've done a complete switcheroo. Hopefully you won't end up in a bear costume at, um, at any point. Hopefully
1: you won't end up like elevated above me, like cutting your head off with some piano wire. I can
0: in it. That is very, very true. So I think on that note, I'll, all that's really left for me to do now is thank you very much, Joe. Well, thanks, Jim. And we'll be back next week. But for now, until then, goodbye.